music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwader. Naming a project or a business can be tricky. Sometimes a lot of people choose to go with something simple. But in music and creative ventures, people tend to try and go with something a little more unique, and with very good reason. Your name not only defines who you are, but if you aren't careful, it can get you in some pretty bad situations and can give you quite a few headaches along the way. Numerous acts have had to change their names over the years, either due because their labels they were signing to didn't like the name, Other bands toured the same locations under the same name even 20 years before them. And even just band members falling apart and moving on. Some names, however, seem to stick around no matter how many times the people involved decide to move on. Taking their name from a novel by Russian writer Vladimir Nabokov, Bend Sinister has gone through various changes in members, in sound, and in location. But one thing has seemed to stay the same for lead singer and keyboardist Dan Moxon throughout the numerous years of making music. What started out as an instrumental rock group has eventually evolved and morphed into something much more than that. But somehow, throughout the 12 years of countless miles, stages, fans, and adventures, only one name has seemed to be worthy to define the eight albums and numerous stories associated with Bend Sinister. Fresh off the release of their latest EP, The Other Way, the band continues to share their vibrant pop rock sound and energy-filled stage show with fans old and new around the globe. I had the chance to sit down with Ben Sinister's second true constant, the first being the fans, the second being keyboardist and lead singer Dan Moxon to discuss the history of the group, how the idea of Ben Sinister started, and how it has evolved over the 12 years of the band's history. And how the name has kind of kept sticking around like a strap of Velcro or a piece of toilet paper stuck to the bottom of your shoe. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Desert Tiger Podcast. And as always, I'm your host here, Colton Geschwantner. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 17 with our special guest, Dan Moxon. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, Castify, whatever you're listening on and wherever you're listening from, we're so thankful to have you joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the show. If you are someone who has tuned into the Desert Tiger podcast throughout our 17 episodes this year, then you probably know we like to kick things off here at the Desert Tiger podcast with a little bit of music before we get to our interviews. And on days like today, where we have a musical guest, we like to bring you some music by that musical guest 
to not only introduce you to who they are and what their sound is, but to also get you in the mood, to get you rocking and rolling, ready and grooving, not only for our interview, but for whatever stands in your way today. So today we're going to kick things off with the song in which the title of the new EP, The Other Way, is derived from. This song is called Walk the Other Way. I've been losing my mind I lost track of time Living in a never under headline Here's the thing, we don't ask why But you gotta try You gotta try Now take a breath Don't be like the rest Money is power, but power is meaningless Well, I know you say you want to change the world I believe in you, I gotta try I gotta try Desert Tiger Podcast. Dan Moxan. 
Yeah, Dan Moxon. Don Dan Moxon. Sorry. That's all right. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy one to get confused sometimes. Much as the band name Bend Sinister is always difficult to pronounce. Ah, oh, when it when you guys first got played on my local radio, like I used to be from Regina, mm-hmm. so like the first time you guys got list like played on the Wolf, yeah. I thought it was Bend Sinister, and it was yeah. like no, oh, a lot no. of a lot of people <laughs> over the over the past have been like, oh, you you must be Ben, are you Ben? And always <laughs> hear it as Ben Sinister, which to me is a bit of a ridiculous name. Whereas Bend Sinister always had a night, you know, other than the fact that it was hard to pronounce. So every time I would be in a loud club or like describing some to somebody what the band name is, I'll do the motion of of like bending something with my hands <laughs> to be like Ben and you have to be d d d d and really duh. hit it hard. But. You gotta pronounce the D. <laughs> really gotta pronounce the D. So how did you guys end up getting the name Bend Sinister? Well, it's interesting. I mean, to give a bit of back history in general, I mean the band has been my sort of main musical project, pet project since I was in high school. And yeah. I I live I grew up in Kelowna, B C. Okay. Um and graduated in 2000 so in that first summer of 2000 i was like one of the jazz guitar players in my jazz band and uh and then there were my two best buddies dave buck and ben ruthman were the other two jazz guitar players in our jazz band so we the three of us with my other best friend dan goffner were like well let's start a band this summer we'll totally just jam and meet up at our you know in my parents basement and uh, yeah start writing songs and so we, we did that summer so you know this would be i was 17 at the time and we started jamming and then the ben ruthenham who's the other guitar player in the band mm-hmm. uh basically decided you know we were trying to f- come up with band names and it's it's one of the hardest things to come up with a good band name but even when you're 17 and it's you know 2000 that's that's a that's a ways back now but you know my choice at the time i still remember because it's so horrible was a halo for space boy halo for space boy <laughs> i know which i think i was like i was on a big david bowie kick and like, okay just, i can understand where it comes from you, you know it just sort of seemed like but again that's a horrible band name and, and then we were fighting about it for ages and ages and ages everybody and i mean it didn't even matter at that point because it was just a band of high school kids yeah you know whatever but <clears throat> i guess naben finally just threw his book down on the table and he's like well how about this i'm reading this book right now and it's it's by vladimir nabokov and it's mm-hmm. called bend sinister and it had really cool cover art which was what i gravitated towards and i was like yeah and i was just like instantly oh actually that'd be sweet because look at the cover of the book it's like it's got these neat this really neat it's sort of an abstract painting of like a guy screaming uh i don't even know i'm just, there's multiple you know pressings or yeah, or of course. publishings of that book, but like at the time, uh, sorry, I'll turn off my phone. No uh, worries. <laughs> at, at the time, I was just like, oh yeah, let's do it. That's because this, I'll just, I'll just like scan the the cover of this book that looks really cool, and then we'll put out a, you know, put out a recording, and and you know that summer we recorded our first record in two thousand, um, which was like literally just setting up our gear in my parents' basement, and my friend Chad had a had a mixer and a and a mini disc player oh wow <laughs> which is old going school. back in old school mm-hmm. technology but he just yeah he set up like 
five room mics or as many mics as we had access to in, yeah. in the room to get sounds and sort of basically rough them out in a mixer and then it all went into the mini disc to record it and that was like mm. what you got there was no turning back no yeah adjusting exactly the levels, right. no <laughs> tweaking anything and and then we just printed out like i don't know like 200 cdrs mm. you know uh and uh and then put the you know put them into little cardboard envelopes which i cut and glued myself and, <laughs> and then True and then DIY. and then pasted the uh you know cover of the vladimir nabokov ben sinister uh cover art on the on the front cover and had no oh, text wow. it was just that image huh. and then and then the back was you know credits and whatever but mm-hmm. but yeah so that was the sort of origins of the band where we didn't really even know what um you know where you know that i would necessarily keep the name for so long and well was, you, when you name it something like what is it <coughs> 17 years ago now it it's, is 17 years ago yeah yeah it's you you don't really anticipate that you're gonna end up using that for so long Mm-hmm. but i and i mean i ironically over the you know there's been countless countless times over the years of the band where if a member's left or whatever that we've wanted to change the band name mm-hmm. and like plan to change the band name and everything like it's almost like a like a curse that Ben Sinister stays stays with <laughs> us because it's like so often times you're like yeah let's change it it's pretty much a different band or like you know like we went from being instrumental for four years like that was the original Ben Sinister was oh, wow. just so like when we started in 2000 I wasn't a singer and I didn't um you know want to sing in the band and we were all basically we were kind of inspired by like bands like Tortoise and John Zorn and mm-hmm. Mike Patton and all that sort of uh you know phantomas and things that were kind of more abstract like slightly jazzy but it was like metal which were massive metal heads as well but metal without taking away a bit of the distortion and the screaming and trying to make it tech and interesting like, like so it's, it's progressive sort it of was thing. like i mean we we called ourselves math rock and and it was like we didn't even know what prog was at the time because mm-hmm. we weren't listening to those types of bands or anything like that but it was instrumental math rock and it was all just sort of riff based sort of songs and every album or every sort of song had probably you know 10 to 20 parts in it you know there's uh-huh. no no such thing as a chorus or a verse or mm-hmm. whatever it was literally just like crazy just thrown going together through it all it's just one that really progress big story and, yeah <laughs> and then you know i've like the first time i think you know probably around 2000 and you know, like the Ben Sinister with vocals only really kind of came about in probably 2004, maybe. Okay. You know, four years later when, because for the first while we were still, everybody was going to university and one of the members was in Victoria, one of the members was in Kelowna and two of us were in Vancouver, but going okay. to UBC and SFU. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really get together at all during the year, but then in the summertime, as you kind of do in early university, you'd all go back to your hometown between... Mm-hmm you know, until the next year of university and then we'd get together in the summers and write more music and play and we'd play shows in town, like all these all ages shows. So every summer we'd have three or four gigs that mm-hmm. we'd do and sell the CDRs and, you know, it was very casual. But as I sort of found a voice and started to play a lot, I was playing guitar as well at the time. There was no piano. So okay. that's so another big no, another like, big factor. Right no no start. keyboards. It was just guitar guitar bass drums um and i but i sort of got into this world of playing a bit of folk um 
music with my I had a roommate at the time in university a, a gal named Emma and between us I mean she would she kind of coaxed me out of my shell to sing I guess because I was a little bit always a bit of an introvert and the idea of singing in front of people was like terrifying yeah you know I mean I think that's a lot of people but I guess well it's it can affect your voice so much like if you're not confident Com- confident enough. and comfortable yeah and so because she was my roommate I mean I started singing with her and she was like oh your voice you got a really great voice and there's really good at guitar let's you know we should keep writing songs and we ended up writing a couple albums of songs that we mm-hmm. probably recorded much in the same way where I think it was just you know uh, on a you know whatever one take mm-hmm. singing it live and, and recording it but uh we started singing together and because I was singing with her it felt like you weren't as exposed and and Mm -hmm. naked and it sort of really taught me to find my voice and confidence more than anything else and so I started writing more songs that were with vocals and I remember so the going back to you know Ben Sinister and the name and changing it and the 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 curse of that I kind of went to the guys and I said you know I like love playing with Ben Sinister and doing what we're doing that's this instrumental music but now I kind of want to sing and mm-hmm. and do and I've written these songs and I even did a show without those guys where I got some other friends that were music musicians to play drums and bass and like did a sort of solo show with all these sort of new songs that I was writing with vocals. Yeah. And so I went to them and I said, you know, I'm either gonna keep doing Ben Sinister but do it as this instrumental project and then do my own thing and call it a different band name and or like call it damn oxen or whatever and and do the two things or we can put it together and make that ben sinister and then Mm -hmm. they were all sort of you know well let's make it ben sinister because they were really keen to you know keep writing music together and yeah and do it and and so you know that was the first sort of time where there would have been that shift that you might have you know shifted away from the name but the name stuck and then we you know as time went on, our first drummer, Dan Goffner, you know, he was the first to, to bail on the band or leave because he just didn't, you know, have have time for it with living in uh, Victoria when, yeah. when the other three of us all ended up in Vancouver, basically. And so mm-hmm. we hired a different drummer, or not hired, but just asked another friend, basically, and had our friend Kevin Keegan join the band. Uh, and then our friend John Bunyan also joined to become to make it a five piece. Okay. And so that was around the basically the Through the Broken City, the first album mm-hmm. that we kind of actually officially released. And that was two thousand and five, I believe. So did you embrace like the keyboards at that point or like was Yeah, it just... so what happened in two thousand five, I mean about two years before that, when we were still going back into uh, Kelowna for the summers. Yeah, I I I had like borrowed a Rhodes piano from my band teacher, who was a good friend because mm-hmm. I was in the jazz band and I did a bunch of extracurricular jazz quartet stuff and you know like really was kind of uh, good buddies with him. He went he lent it to me for a for the summer when I was home. Oh wow! And because it was from the school and then basically. 
as schools you know progress that they realize you know that nobody really cared about it anymore or anything anyway and so he just sold me the Rhodes piano for like 300 bucks I think or something cheap that's and not I bad this, at all <laughs> uh, this really nice Rhodes and then I just started experimenting more with that and being mm-hmm. and something drew me to piano more than the songwriting on guitar just because I thought that everybody like people writing songs on guitar everything sounded the same to me yeah and when I picked up the piano and started playing it I felt like I could come up with stuff that was much more my own thing or unique and different than what Mm -hmm. was going on when you're writing a song with piano as the forefront instrument versus you know bands that have pianos playing chords in the background but they're still kind of formulated mm-hmm. on just sort of harmonizing with everything else and and so yeah i mean i guess i i still on through the broken city it was about a half and half mixture on half the songs i was playing guitar and on half the songs i switched to piano but when okay. john bunyan joined the band mm-hmm. at that time um and what's funny too is that not a single one of these members is in the band anymore these no are all, all long gone long past members but rotating uh, door rotating door but john bunyan joined uh and he was an amazing singer so he had great harmonies but he also liked to play uh piano as well and so we would Mm -hmm. just switch back and forth so he would play the roads on the songs i was playing guitar yeah and i'd play guitar on the song or or, and vice versa so when i was playing roads he played guitar when i played guitar he played roads and um we also were roommates at the time, me and John, so we got pretty tight for a while, and we lived at uh, Maine and 27th in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and we're really big into doing Ben Sinister, but also both playing, like, folk songs, me with, you know, Emma or by myself, doing, mm-hmm. and we go to open mics, like, every week, and play uh, tons of, sort of, open mics, and just kind of slowly finding your, finding your voice and confidence, and building up to you know what would be 17 years i guess of yeah of music really pushes into it so broken city sort of led into a self-titled concept album right yeah so i mean we with through the broken city well, it was ep i guess it was it was an ep after that but so through the broken city was our first formal release and we had our friend scott who had started a label in montreal called storyboard records okay put that one out and it it it, we got it we really kind of put our all into it i was i mean i remember that summer with it i i like self-financed the record by working at a cement factory for six months like oh wow (laughs) grueling sort of shitty work but it was uh eating crap food just to save everything yeah it was night shifts too (laughs) and and whatnot so it was just like you had no life but i saved up like around eight grand which at that time seemed like a crazy amount of money Mm -hmm. and then i was like that's it i'm gonna put this towards the band and record the record and then so we had everything dialed and then we did our first probably real big canadian tour where we played think it was almost one of the more ambitious ones ever where we went all the way to halifax and back over two months and did you know Mm -hmm. 40 shows or something crazy but but uh yeah i mean and it went really well and uh you know as or as well as it can for a independent canadian band in Mm -hmm. 2005 2006 but we you know 
had well, there was great... a lot more smaller scenes back then. Too. Yeah, and we were playing a lot more all ages shows and smaller mm-hmm. house parties and things like that. But, but yeah, then I guess as after that record, we just kept writing and had these songs put together for an EP that we basically went back in and re-recorded and we never never had money coming from anybody else but ourselves at that point like even with the label usually how it work is when you brought the finished recording to them they would pay to manufacture the CDs yeah and you bought the CDs back from them which was great mm-hmm. and there was a bit of marketing money and printing of posters and things like that but it was a very DIY start and then with the EP, which was just self-titled Ben Sinister, uh, we kind of got a bit of a, you know, a bit of love from CBC Radio and CBC Radio 3 with okay. with one of the songs, Time Breaks Down, mm-hmm. that they had said was like the best song of the year and like we're kind of really toting that and so that really grew this, the fan base at that time and, mm-hmm. uh, and we just kept playing shows and doing our own thing, but it was very, you know very independent at that point and just sort of yeah trucking along playing shows and we'd set up tours and the you know whenever we could and kind of and just sort of you know I, I don't even remember now that it feels so long ago 10 years even at that point but somewhere along the way we played in toronto and then got signed to distort mm-hmm. who put out the they did a sort of deal with storyboard that storyboard put out this physical copies of that ep and uh, and then Distort Records uh, uh, put out the online uh, oh, okay. iTunes release, yeah. which was funny because this was still a transitional time. So to us, the CDs were everything, uh-huh. and the <coughs> iTunes didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of the start of iTunes being a big thing that you could maybe make some money off of, and people, you know, I mean, there was Napster as well before that, and it was even like kind of a crazy time because I feel like MySpace was this thing like it was this pre being on Facebook too but you were on MySpace and, oh yeah MySpace and was huge for bands MySpace was I remember the day that it I realized that a band could create a band MySpace and upload your your track mm-hmm. you know like it was like such a huge deal that I could upload like three songs onto MySpace and just reach anybody anywhere in the world yeah and say like hey this is like listen to me <laughs> like you're really literally like listen game, listen to right? me check it out but i was like so naively naive in terms of internet and and so like there you know social media wasn't even a term yet but like yeah. it's like basically i'd like go to chat rooms and and like find bands i liked and i was just like an ultimate like you know keener and i'd be like check out this song check out our record blah blah and you yeah know, be like super <laughs> gung-ho about uh you know self-promotion which i think is a an aspect of of being a bit younger too like you're always much more toting your own horn until you as you get older you get a bit more humble and you know I yeah know. you just sort of learn to appreciate things like earlier yeah. on at the beginning it's just this huge rush where it's like we're gonna get big oh yeah there's the you're like, <laughs> you have many of those moments you're like oh man this song we're gonna be huge it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna find the, the right guys gonna listen to yeah. it and 
That's you're gonna right. find our MySpace and we're gonna get signed and yeah, I, I would send like MySpace links to like Sony and beat like everywhere and everybody and anything I could think of like mm-hmm. and like it's basically spam. You're just spamming the internet, mm-hmm. but but it, again, spam wasn't even a big thing at that point, other than the occasional you know spam message you get in your. Well, well, you gotta give it a try when you're just giving a go back then, right? Yeah. I mean, indeed, you still have that little twinkle in your eye. And <laughs> <laughs> so, once you signed with Distort, was it a little less DIY for you guys? Like, did they handle a little yep. bit more for you? Um, so we with Distort, I mean, we essentially grew up a team where we we got some management mm-hmm. involved. Um, and and a booking agent we signed with like the agency group which is now defunct out yeah of, out of uh you know toronto and we had a you know we were with them for many 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 years um as our booking agents and and yeah so we got a sort of taste of having like managers taking care of everything and and booking agents booking your shows and making sure that your rider was the exact same in every yeah. place and that you get buyouts for your meals and that you're you know uh, guarantees are crazy high for the time, especially in you know we were getting a lot of opening gigs, opening for other bands too. I mean, we did a bunch of dates with like Hot Hot Heat at the time, which seemed yeah. really huge because well, was, they were really big. They were back like, in like oh seven. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and and it was great shows, and then also became good buddies with Steve Bays, who I mm-hmm. still you know hang out with occasionally these days or see around. Uh, as he's also in Vancouver and um and yeah I mean you know it was good but it's you know we just kind of kept trucking and then we got really carte blanche at, like with distort paying for stories of brothers tales of lovers which yeah. was sort of the biggest sort of concept record that that I was really keen on doing and we'd had I'd built up many like way more songs than were even on that record but we had you know this plan to do this sort of double LP mm-hmm. gateful vinyl. And the one downside was that distort agreed to put out the CD and everything else, but didn't want to spend the money for a double LP gatefold. Mm. Cause at the t- that was also vinyl wasn't really, as that big wasn't then. the time where vinyl was big yet. And, and I still to this day regret not having had, cause I even have all the artwork for a double gatefold oh. LP for that album. And I, and I, it's just a mat now. I mean, now I'm at a point in my life where I could probably just self finance that and yeah. put it out and have it at shows. But mm-hmm. I just didn't know if there's necessarily the demand to go and buy one of your old albums on vinyl. But I almost, well, I, so I almost think, though, I mean, right? no matter what, when we got a show, people want the vinyl these days. It, it seems like CDs. I don't really ever buy a CD anymore. And oh, it's I have like 200 CDs, and right now me and my girlfriend are all about the vinyl, whether it's old yeah. or it's new. It's so. Just I mean that that would be it. that would be nice because it was. It's just a that album. I really put a lot into the, the way the songs flow together, the whole vibe of the record, and mm-hmm. like and even if the artwork and everything like it was meant to be like you don't really ever see it on a CD, but. It was meant that when you open open the gatefold vinyl, the band photo is the like full two you know two page spread that we yeah. did like this huge one of us in a library, and then the outside of it when you opened it up was a 
one image that went along from the front to the back as well you know and so did you design that all yourself or no i mean so with that record like i was saying when we got carte blanche to kind of do a bit of extra stuff i think distort probably gave us like a thirty thousand dollar budget okay for the record and another like bit of money to hire graphic designers and and whatnot and so Mm -hmm. we had you know hired a photographer to take the I mean, I basically was the conceptually thought of everything, but I, okay. I hired people to do everything, and we hired a you know I had a friend in in Berlin to do the uh, all the graphic design artwork, and somebody else to take the photos to send to him, and um, and uh, and yeah, and I'm I'm still like that album anyway is the first time where I, I think even if I listen to it today, which I don't, I very rarely go back and listen to the old records, but it's still, mm-hmm. I'm very, you know, I listened to it at my parents' cabin because there was the CD there and there wasn't <laughs> much else. I was like, Oh, this would be nice to listen to. And it was still really nice to hear it like this. You know, I like, I, I love that record cause we got to bring in some horns and bring in some strings and bring in like a lady backup section for oh, vocals wow. and, there's a lot of sort of bells and whistles on that. So bit. like a lot of composition and instrumentation on. For that. sure. I mean, I didn't write the string parts. We had a mm-hmm. friend that was a, that was uh, more in the sort of uh, orchestral world do that at the time. But yeah. But it was uh, really amazing to be there and watch them play it for the first time, hmm. with a quartet. Yeah, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then. How long did you guys stick with the Stort? So with the Stort, it was an interesting. I'm trying to think exactly how how that all ended. I mean, we put out. I mean, right. So right after Stories Brothers, Tales of Lovers, we had some shifts in the band. I mean, this is different names that I would like. I guess Stories Brothers, Tales of Lovers was, you know, after Kevin Keegan was the drummer. I'd mentioned he left the band and and a the longest member on drums was Jason Dana. Okay. Who was, who was basically from 2007 till 2012 or hmm. almost actually till tw- like 2014 really. So he's been the main drummer of Ben Sinister and he um, joined right after we put out the EP and then he was on Stories Brothers Tales of Lovers and then he was on everything up until Animals. Um, okay. But he joined the band, and then we had our bass player at the time was Joel Myers. And then, I believe on Stories Brothers, Tales of Lovers, it was still in the band, Rethnam and John Bunyan, and then myself. But they both basically quit right after we did a tour for that record, because Naben wanted to go to... Where did he, I mean, he basically left to go to school in Toronto and and focus on publishing. Okay. And becoming an author which hmm. he's actually doing really well in that field. He's just published a few books and uh and he's starting to get some notoriety as a as an author. Oh wow. Um, and then John left to become a lawyer hmm. and uh and now he is a lawyer. It's like that's how much time has gone by that he's actually gone through he's school. Actually gone through, gone school through everything and, and now wow. he's back <laughs> working real estate law in Vancouver and uh and he'll still play a bit of music on the side and we'll I'll meet up with him for dinner every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, yeah, so that was the band. But those those two guys, Naban and John, left the band. Uh, and we brought in my friend Henry and uh, used to play guitar. 
and then Joseph, who's still in the band today, mm-hmm. to play guitar as well. So those became the two guitar players, and then we had Joel Myers on bass and Dana on drums, and then myself. Uh, and we kind of that was an interesting time because we went before we put out our next record with this store. We got into this peak performance project through a radio station here in Vancouver, and it was yeah. sort of this thing that they ran for almost, geez, almost until like a few years ago so probably at least eight years that they did it but we were Mm -hmm. the first year and it was this kind of contest slash thing that they picked 20 bands and then all the bands would go up to this boot camp thing for for a week where you'd where you'd hang out with all the other bands and write songs and yeah and and learn about the music industry and do all these sort of things and then you everybody Mm -hmm. performed at showcase shows that they'd have one a week and then they'd pick three bands to be the winners yeah and then the three bands would play one last show and then they'd announce first second and third and Mm. so we were part of that process and it was really kind of exciting because it the peak was playing a bunch of our songs on the radio at that time and they were even playing things will get better one of the songs uh i guess or was it not things will get better i'm sorry time breaks down from that EP before mm-hmm. we were even in the contest and so we were getting a lot of radio play that that kind of brings you a new audience when you're yeah. getting mainstream radio play and not just college radio kind of across the country and uh, and then the contest happened and we came in third which was nice and we won 50 grand in oh, that. Wow. <laughs> and then we sort of decided probably wasn't the best way to spend the money but we basically were like well it's just I'll quit our day jobs and, <laughs> and we'll move to Toronto because that's where our management is and that's where our label is and that's where our booking agent is. That's where our network of people is. Let's all just fly to Toronto and 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 make a go of it there and tour nonstop around Ontario and and just play shows and we could pay ourselves out, you know, money from the from the money we won every time yeah. we played a show. So we sort of did that as a salary, and we were living on the cheap for sure, and crashing with friends and mm-hmm. and and whatnot. But we basically just moved to Toronto and gave it a go, and then we came back after about six months to record Spring Romance, which was the next next uh, EP that we sort of did uh, on the spectrum of albums, and we recorded it with this fellow Howard Redekop. That's a really cool producer locally who's okay. worked with like mother mother and mm-hmm. and uh said the whale and a bunch of different bands and and basically recorded that with him and then we put it out on distort mm-hmm. and then somewhere along the lines after that i don't think it was really distorts fault but i think we just got tired of them not knowing what to do with us because every other band on distort was a metal band yeah and we were this sort of pop power pop prog rock sort of you're not there you know we weren't their usual bag and so they couldn't really find like we weren't hitting the audiences that we wanted to hit so we had a bit of an issue saying like well do you really know what to do with us and they were like oh no we don't actually know i mean it's Mm -hmm. not our typical audience so it's it was a sort of wasn't like a, a bad breakup or anything. It was a very fairly amicable thing where I was like, well, how about we just, uh, you know, put out our next record ourselves because I don't think you guys, you know, know what you're doing or we'll just sort of 
branch off and find somebody else to put it out and mm-hmm. figure something else out, you know, and they were seemed fine with that. And, um, and it was a weird time too, because it's, you know, you always hope that your managers or management is putting their best, your best foot forward and that they're like, you know, representing the band really well. And we had these managers in Toronto, it was two guys and they were, you know, managed like, uh, you know, uh, I Mother Earth and a bunch of different bands. Yeah. And, and we're kind of, you know, big industry players, but uh, they just basically, like, one day I remember phoning our booking agent and he started bitching to us about our managers, how they are mm. too bossy and this and that. And, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, so you don't like the managers? And then we talked to our label and then they were like, yeah, we don't like your managers either. They're really annoying. And like, uh-huh. like everybody was like, saying how these managers unbeknownst to us as a band were kind of like representing the representing us in a bad light and you know like being being like overly you know like demanding to concert promoters and to all sorts of whatever they were dealing with yeah were treating treating us like we were you know whatever a massive band versus being the sort of still somewhat indie band that we were in Canada yeah and so i guess we kind of fired them and and just you know and then basically came back to Vancouver and sort of started fresh again you know huh. with but it's a weird thing because when you've built up a team around you of all these people you get used to the idea like okay just send me those you know send me where I have to be and what times load in and just mm-hmm. the ease of sort of of working with those people but and and then when you're back to being if you're going to book a show you know you have to email a venue yourself it's kind of a big mm-hmm. you know you actually have to like deal shift. with the promoters and try and figure out everything out on so, your own and... yeah so right around there that's it kind of imploded and we were just like wow we really thought with the spring romance album that things would really take off and nothing quite did and we didn't get even put out a video for the single which was things will get better and mm-hmm. they didn't want it distort was hesitant about paying the money to try to shop it to radio even though Ooh. it seemed like a radio song yeah and, and it was you know and so there's a lot of factors that just kind of you know it's all timing and it's all however you know the cards fall and luck and everything but it just sort of didn't quite work and so that was a bit defeating at the time but we you know moved back to vancouver and and sort of uh had to fire our bass player at the time because he was just getting too he was a very angry drunk at the time oh that's always hard to deal with there's like i mean there was constantly internal dramas you know and then we also had to get rid of our one guitar player henry because when we moved to toronto he didn't want to stay there because he was upset about being away from this girlfriend he had at the time which is yeah. now his wife and you know things that were understandable but he just wasn't basically didn't show the initiative to want to be like he kept canceling important shows and mm. and whatnot and so so there's a lot of internal stuff and so we went back to being just this this uh essentially me dana and joseph who were the three longest members and then we mm-hmm. had to search out another bass player and we did this one great i'll always remember it as one of the best tours around that time where we joined forces with a band from pei called the paper lions yeah and a band from regina called the library voices oh my 
Love them. And then ourselves. And it was great because you've got the East Coast band, the Prairie band, mm-hmm. and the, the Vancouver band. So you're covering all of it. And we went all the way. We started the tour in Halifax, and we, we played, I think, like 40, again, 35, 40 mm-hmm. shows, and ended in Tofino. And it was such a epic trip because all three bands were kind of becoming really good friends and yeah touring around and every show was like packed because you just had all the bases covered it was just a really great you know uh great idea to just not necessarily pair bands because of being like at this tier and this tier but being like okay you're from i want to tour with a band from halifax yeah vancouver like it's just a great logistically from where you well, are the spectrum you know the sounds on that tour too would appeal to a lot of people i would feel oh for sure and and it's great i mean the paper lions have been really close friends ever since then and we'll still we'll always bump into them like if we we're in toronto and they were in toronto we'd go and hang out at toronto island or go out for drinks or we were in san diego recording animals much later in 2013 and yeah they were down there touring and we all hmm. went boogie boarding and went to see a oh, nice. baseball game and you know have just maintained friend like they were just at my house this last summer having a brunch and playing board games till we got too wasted to <laughs> stand. uh but uh but yeah it's uh i mean i forgot kind of where we we're at with in terms of timelines but i guess it just basically after Spring Romance in 2009, 2010, we parted ways with Distort amicably, yeah. parted ways with our management, parted ways with our booking agent. Everything just kind of literally crumbled to back to square one. Mm-hmm. And um, took control of everything. And even the, yeah, mem- two members left the band. And we, you know, it could have been again that time where you're like, all oh, right, well. Let's start a new band. Hmm, maybe it's time to why change the name. Why don't we change the name? <laughs> I mean, it had happened much before that as well, but, you know, I probably cut out like four or five times where we thought about changing the name. But, yeah, again, you're like, oh, let's change the name. But then then something, I don't know why, we, we that would have been a great time to do it because you're essentially back at square one. But I think we just, I think it was maybe that we got that library voices or we did that tour mm-hmm. and we instead of changing the name we just hired a bass player to join us on that tour and did the tour and then we we're like that went really well we got it and we started working on new songs to mm-hmm. put out a new record and we we're like well let's keep the momentum going you know but it's yeah. always like this ebb and flow of momentum that you kind of have a really successful tour and put out a, an album and maybe you get a bit of a success but it, it certainly it goes up and or... up and down because people's attention spans can often be you know six months they get into a band or listen to you or like mm-hmm. we're like well it's back in the day people were lifelong right mm-hmm. and it's like now people can jump for on sure. you for one album and say oh my god i love you you guys are amazing it's and then a, it's like they don't it's not actually a great example of that i mean a bit of a an aside but i mean i i was just at the gym yesterday i've been trying to go and and become a bit healthier and i yeah and uh I actually go to Anytime Fitness as well. Oh, I really? A little shout nice. out there. Because I guess they're <laughs> Love them. But, uh, but I was there, and then this guy's like, he was like, you're Dan, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, dude, I like was the biggest fan of you guys in high school. Like, Through the Broken City was one of my favorite records of all time. Mm. I was like, oh, that's crazy. That's like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, 
you know, and it's like, well, have you checked out any of the other records or like, <laughs> follow up on the band or like, you know, I didn't ask that or, yeah. but I was like, well, well, check out, we just put out a new EP called, uh, you know, walk the other way. You should, or, you know, or check that out or the other way is the, the name of the EP, but yeah. Um, walk the other way is a song um, on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was like, oh yeah, I'll check that out. But you know, there's countless, I've, I would say that probably literally in my life of touring there's been over a hundred shows where you've had somebody be like that's the best show i've ever seen or like you guys are going to be the biggest band or like you know you get those people that obviously you in that moment that you've performed for them and they've come and seen the show it's like there was something special about it that they they're like you know amazed or like and it's like if how like because it just seems strange to me that you can come up to somebody and be like that's the best show i've ever seen and then a year later you come into that town and you don't see that guy at the show oh yeah you know it's like that's the sort of comedy of it all that it's like i don't know it's you know it's so it's so fleeting that uh you know it's hard to keep people's attention spans and it's getting harder and harder every year as our detention slowly you know goes to our phones and goes to you know check this song out check this check this 20 seconds of this video you don't even watch the whole video you're just like scan bam done Mm -hmm. whatever oh it's it is like facebook counts three seconds of a video play and it's like and that it counts that as a success and it's just like did they did they even unmute the thing like i know (laughs) but i mean that's a that's the world today and um Mm -hmm. and it's it's good i mean i'm just happy that especially with the band i mean i'm jumping well forward to now but that you just have this avenue that you still get to put out content and be creative the desert tiger podcast
the Desert Tiger Podcast. Um, well, I mean, t- I'll talk touch briefly on those records, uh, okay. which were with, I mean, Small Fame and and Animals was kind of the. I guess we had our bass player, who's now still the bass player, Matt Road, join okay. the band after. Um, well, after Joel left the band because you know of just issues with drinking and and all sorts of you know aggression. just wasn't working out <laughs> well he yeah I, yeah it wasn't working out but he had been in the band for quite a while as well but we you know uh matt joined and he's been in the band since then since 2011 yeah and then dana and myself and joseph and we were the main sort of core of the band for for small fame and uh animals and small fame was an interesting record because right around that time that everything sort of fizzled out to a degree i was often wondering like oh is it because the band's too poppy or like trying to be like we didn't i didn't really know but i was trying to balance that world between being rock and roll and and like high energy and pop music in a way too you're trying to meld it right wanted to be like the super tramp and the steely dan and the sort of oh yeah the doobie brothers and that avenue of band which just wasn't anything that anybody seemed to care about at that time necessarily now or like in 2012 years ago like no like now it's sort of coming back it is coming back now which i hope is plays into our future hopefully (laughs) But anyway, so at that, yeah, so on the side for like since, which before uh, Dana joined the band even, like from 2008 even, I would say we had this side project where he was the drummer of the side project with me before Mm -hmm. he joined Ben Sinister and it was called Small Fame. Okay. And Small Fame was with two other guys on bass and guitar and I played more organ than I did piano, but it was basically like an ode to deep purple it was very gritty very like it wasn't there was no sort of poppy bits it was all just psychedelic and super um sort of you know more yeah deep purpley old school rock yeah that was basically when we did small fame it was like small fame wasn't ever going to go anywhere because one of the the other guys in the band were just down to you know play a local show every once every once every six months and we'd sort of do these local shows with small fame and they'd like be perceived really really well because it was almost like you could cater to the metal scene by playing a little bit more aggressive yeah rock even though it's the same vocals same basic formula but just a little bit heavier but i was like well maybe this should be the direction that ben sinister goes mm-hmm. and so with small fame i took you know six or seven of the songs that we were doing with the small fame band which is sort of defunct and put them on the record and to pay homage to that we called the record small fame and then the other sort of six songs were a bit more of the ben sinister slightly more poppy sort of yeah sort of like two signs sides of the coin right exactly and then that was a sort of you know it seemed to we that record did pretty well and we were working with file under music this local vancouver label and you know we toured the states uh, several times in Canada and we did a lot of you know we played South by Southwest in Austin Texas yeah. two years in a row and one right as we were coming off a small fame and then one right when we released Animals which was mm-hmm. a kind of continuation of that where there was a couple of that more so the more heavier stuff like we were doing in small fame and you know that edge of the band was on 
animals, but then there's also whatever the mesh of sounds that is Ben Sinister. Yeah, of course, is, there's and, still some of those like slower songs that build up. Yeah, and, and that was you know again on file under music, and that was a animals I'm very happy with still. Like it was loved working with the you know working with friends to do the photos and the cover art, and I was even you know I have a side where I get in like my side business myself is is finding vintage vintage decor and vintage furniture and stuff oh, and really? fixing it up and reselling it huh. and at that time I was super into you know taxidermy and and you know vintage lamps and carpets and things which I still find from time to time and and I you know set decked our jam space to be the album cover and took like did a huge photo shoot in there and then took some of the photos and had another friend that's like a visual artist take like a giant print of the cover of animals which was just a straight up photograph that i blew up to like um i don't know 24 by 24 Mm -hmm. and then he actually cut it up with a razor blade and and reformed it to form what is the cover of that album and did it all organically like physically with a razor blade and cut with diamonds and created a concept and then we you know re-put you know it was quite a big really nice piece of art and then we photographed that and made that the cover of the album and uh that one we had um a bit of money as well from Under music and uh and some money that we'd got from uh royalties and various things that we had and we decided to use it to go to san diego and do something totally different and instead of just recording here we toured all the way down to san diego and toured the west coast and then we we held up for two weeks uh more than two weeks i guess it was probably like 18 days Mm -hmm. or so and did this record in san diego and we stayed at an airbnb and just went love went (laughs) to the same studio every day and worked with this producer that we had sort of sourced out that was from san diego and, and we recorded and did the whole album and in 18 days when we were there and then mm-hmm. and then toured back through texas and up to austin for south by southwest that mm-hmm. year and then back up all the way minneapolis at all up through till canada and then back through canada from montreal back and mm. did this sort of epic journey you know with recording in the middle which is kind of crazy to just toss all your gear in the van drive down somewhere record an album and then just keep touring you know it was yeah. a very hectic schedule at the time but it was super fun because you have dates you have to make too right so yeah you, you like, can't you can't like take in and we're and time only or... so much money as well so we mm-hmm. had to get a tent we had 10 songs planned and we got them banged out in time but that was the first time i realized in the studio too you can't just bang out 10 tracks of lead vocals in one day you know you yeah kinda, you kind of right. need to figure out a way to save your voice and give the best performances and the best takes and and uh but we did what we could with the time that we had and then mm-hmm. had to mix it after the fact while we were on the road and and yeah that album i'm still pretty psyched on it you know even though it's now even three years old and mm-hmm. and that about brings us to now where we're at today you know well with i guess with when we actually released animals we did another tour of all the u.s and the states and yeah 
and uh, went on Q with Joan Gameshi, which was a big deal at the time. Yeah, uh, before uh, well, before thing. any of accusations, but it was yeah. just more like that was the show that you wanted to be on. Well, no doubt, because that was like the CBC program, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, and I think you know. Well, I mean, there's been so many highlights and so many great opportunities and, and festivals and amazing places we've seen. And, you know, with that record, we went to Europe and we got to tour for a month all around Europe. And we shared a tour bus with the headlining band. And it was a really amazing sort of experience to finally be in the sort of real big giant tour bus with your yeah. own bunk and your own space and you know though it's a lot less glamorous than, <laughs> than you'd assume but you uh, finally get to that point and then you're like oh man i'm stuck in it like this tiny little sleep <laughs> cubicle oh yeah <laughs> and then i was, I, was, I, was, I was i often snore and i was like oh how like am, are these guys gonna be like fucking furious that i'm like there's like 12 of us in this tiny little room and <laughs> people are snoring but luckily there was a guitar tech on the tour that was a more of a snorer than i was and oh, yeah. he took the <laughs> he rap took for, the <laughs> for most of it <laughs> um but yeah i mean that was a definite highlight touring like those guys had been had members from sweden and we got to play like a dozen shows in sweden and like mm-hmm. in the uk and all over spain and and uh and germany and italy and and France and it was it was a great and that's the we've been over there three times but that was like the big tour uh over there and I mean that was a band called Big Elf which was for the first time I was actually like finally a band that's kind of similar that we're actually opening for yeah Big Elf not very many people know of them but it's you know and they're not I don't think they're even a band right now and Mike Portnoy drummed for them at one well that's right he was on Mike Portnoy was on this tour with us so he was on the bus really so that was kind of an interesting I mean I'm not like a crazy dream theater fan or anything Mm -hmm. like that but it was neat to be around Mike Portnoy because he was at all the shows he's got like crazy fans that want autographs and like you know he's a bit of a celeb in that world well there's people that'll come out just for Portnoy oh yeah like (laughs) And so that was neat to bro down with him and get a lot of one-on-one time and hanging out and shooting the shit and showing yeah, bands no and doubt. watching, you know, what we were watching the Nick, I think was <laughs> that, that show about the early, you know, uh, New York, uh, medical world. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, um, and also Black Mirror, we watched the uh, first season of that when it was, hmm. you know, just stuff you do on the bus, I guess, because you got a TV. Well, you got to pass jobs. time. And, and um, yeah, and then, I mean, Portnoy, too, we did another tour with him on an, in another band called uh, Flying Colors, which was really fun, okay. too. Um, and sort of, that was the first time we'd ever done one where you fly from city to city and don't drive. And Oh, wow. Again, you'd, think, you'd think that would be like oh we'll just fly to city and it's Once like again, you it's, think it's glamorous and then and it's, it's like, like oh no, you when you be, hop on the you flight you have to be at the airport at five <laughs> in the morning and then you're carrying all this gear and you got to check in the gear and they're always you're always fighting them for what you're gonna get charged every oh, time oh yeah of course you know they always <laughs> want to get more out of you and uh <laughs> yeah but and then you know yeah so i mean that pretty much brings us you know up to again now where we we also parted ways with Flounder Music because we were after two records with them you know we would have had to do one more record with them but we just felt like we weren't seeing the kind of you know 
whatever that the support that we'd maybe grew too accustomed to with bigger management and and big like labels and things but it just mm-hmm. felt like it wasn't quite panning out the way we wanted it to so we had to actually you know pay them to get out of our contract well it becomes a point as to who has the best interest for your music yeah and more often than not it's you that's yeah and it, i mean it's also just you want to see the people making opportunities and 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 caring about the band and and like you know you like it's if you're with a certain label and it just wasn't i don't know it just didn't like there was lots of like fun times at south by southwest but you mm-hmm. know we just didn't see any results necessarily and i mean it's not necessarily the label's fault either but it, you know we wouldn't have didn't get a big budget to put out music videos and yeah. every, all the videos we were doing were kind of spearheaded by me and finding friends to do things for cheap and if not free you know and sometimes and, uh, that ends up affecting the final product of course mm-hmm. and then uh you know, which leads us, we recorded this EP and we, uh, had a bunch of, you know, we had all of our own money towards it because we, the one amazing thing I'll say to any band in Canada, if you haven't looked at your sound exchange yet, like you can sign up for royalties that you get from Sirius satellite radio and different uh, things that are kept for the band and in the States until you're, until you actually sign up to get the money and if you've never like if your music's played on cbc radio 3 or cbc or verge or any of the sort of radio stations that are also syndicated on sirius they end up giving you something like 20 dollars a spin huh versus the like 0.001 cents of spotify (laughs) you know but so that money had built up for us and when we finally like had somebody facilitate us filing all the paperwork and getting the the money there was you know a massive amount of money set aside for us just waiting there in u.s funds that we were able to help subsidize basically it subsidized the band for you know two or three years after animals it was amazing like we just were able to pay for so we went in and did the ep with with our friend Ben Kaplan producing and uh, mm-hmm. you know again and this is the band spending our own money but we stru- you know we're spending like something around 20 20 to 25,000 dollars of that money just yeah. on the EP alone and we were able to make sure that we were paying our members uh appropriately for touring and everything mm-hmm. um and then i mean the only thing i'd say before that EP there was one last after the Europe tour we parted ways with uh jason dana on drums because yeah. he was just getting too burnt out of touring and and i mean even though he loved the band there was just butting heads with members and again one of those scenarios where you just you know you don't it's like it's like getting a divorce sometimes when you have to you know do those sort of things but he oh, what, well, i had a friend who writes like columns and he you like you a lot of people say their band is a family mm-hmm. and he he like he described it as like a plutonic sort of like relationship where it's like when you break up it's like a divorce it's mm-hmm. not like you, you can't just break up with your family when you break up with a band there's well it's certainly you mm-hmm. always assume you'll hang out still but sometimes it's like when you have no commitments you don't see people as much and yeah and whatnot you know but uh 
But uh, what I will say about Dana, I mean, he's in a band now called Dead Quiet, which okay. you should check out. If and that's also ironically with the the weed singer vocal uh, guitar player is Kevin Keegan, who is huh. another previous <laughs> Ben Sinister drummer. So two Ben Sinister drummers are in a band called Dead Quiet. They just had their album release show last night in Vancouver, and so oh, I just really? expect they'll be touring soon. Um, oh, nice! It's it's more like it's very rock and like metal inspired but like very much like rainbow or sort of you know okay. the small fame stuff that we were we were doing and he's got a just a killer keyboard player in the band now so hmm. i wish i would have gone to the cd release show last night but i've hmm. been kind of hibernating <laughs> the last month and and uh, sometimes it happens yep uh but yeah, so we were we were away from filing music, and we had all these songs that we just recorded with producer Ben Kaplan. Yeah, and it took us a year to figure out what we were gonna do because everybody just kind of took some time off, and even with the current band, we had some had some internal conflict and issues. We had a member, Christy, who was playing trumpets, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and since and doing all the auxiliary parts and she became we were always a four piece but she became a fifth piece member yeah joined by also our new drummer after dana left who is nick petrowich uh or he calls himself dickie neptune that's the current jump current drummer. drummer and uh he's you know he's been with the band since you know uh probably since 2015 i guess so at least a couple years now mm-hmm. um and uh so yeah, I mean with Christy, I mean that was just a bad scenario where she and Matt, our drummer or our bass player, started dating, and then oh, it became oh yeah, became <laughs> you know it's and I I feel horrible because she got the short end of the stick where she got the boot after things went badly, even though it probably necessarily wasn't her fault at all, and and, and I and she's there's a that's still a kind of unresolved sore spot that it's 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 unfortunate but it was just like i had to you know and it all falls down onto me when i don't even want to have to make those calls yeah it's but it's really hard on you if i i i could kick out the bass player that's been with the band for six years uh and is a major songwriter or the contributing person or the auxiliary trumpet no no offense but it's it's just the how it how how it goes down you exactly. know but she was a little bit bitter about that and you know and and whatnot and then there was you know and just tension there was a lot of issues where right 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 when we recorded the ep we just thought about we were going to build up some momentum but then and we went back to europe and did some yeah. festivals but then then uh uh such a matt busted his knee uh, at a show mm-hmm. and was it really affected his life where he wasn't working for six to months to a year and had a you know changed his whole mindset he was probably going through a bit of a depression and, and he felt like he couldn't play shows anymore and yeah it really took a back seat or like a front seat to everything and we basically took almost a bit of time of, of off from playing shows and from anything so so from like last year this time or like last september till almost this summer august we didn't play a single show mm-hmm. we, we took a break and everybody just sort of worked on their own personal stuff you know and so yeah uh, got to catch up on life from all caught up on life but we had this ep in the can that we'd already yeah. finished and it was mixed mastered 
ready to go and we were like well what's gonna happen now if we're taking this break and blah 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 blah. and then and then kind of this year january we started to work we kind of mended some broken fences with the rest of us and said let's just keep let's not worry about the outcome let's not worry about booking shows let's not worry about touring let's not worry about the final outcome let's just meet and finish all these songs that we've Mm -hmm. got in you know that just need lyrics and just need to be arranged a bit and like i always just do voice memos on my phone when we're jamming and if an idea comes about you record it and then you've got these ideas that really just need to be ironed out into proper verses and choruses and arrangements and and then you just need to fill in the blanks with lyrics which is kind of our our process but uh yeah we just started getting back together once a week and and you know writing songs and then we had some money still from this money from the sound exchange saved up and i was like well let's just go into the studio and record these songs i don't even care mm-hmm. what happens from it and we didn't even know what was happening with the ep and then we were just about to just release the ep ourselves just to be like here it is world bam here you go and then Surprise. and then <laughs> joseph who's uh basically been started to be sort of the you know unofficial manager of the band mm-hmm. uh because he doesn't really want to do it but he gets stuck doing it basically <laughs> because his job is he works for light organ records and, oh, okay. and, and he manages a couple other bands and he's mm-hmm. sort of deep into the he's got the ins and the outs of the music industry a bit more than the rest of us and and he just sort of put sent out the ep to a few labels and you know knocked on a few doors and then this band this label from Victoria, named Cordova Bay, uh, jumped on it and was really yeah. keen to put it out. And it wasn't, it was kind of a funny thing because if you look at their roster, there's nobody much like Ben Sinister on their roster, but it was something about just how engaged and energetic and excited that they were to work with us. Yeah. And the fact that they're, you know, like um, just their team, Danielle and Dan Ball and all the people that are working there are younger and smarter and they you know they just really put together a great plan to put out the ep and get get the ball rolling and putting out you know like content that was planned with like you know like putting out a video that showcased our 12 years of of being in the band and putting out records even though it's actually 17 but yeah but uh you know we just really kind of <coughs> feel like we put out the release the right way and then and then it doesn't hurt that we've already got a full length record in the can that in the pocket ready so to that go. now that we've gotten a little bit of buzz with the ep and we've been you know radio tracking around the country and got a lot of a team built back up again yeah we've got a full length that i'm even more excited about and we're just listening i was just listening to the mixes today that mm-hmm. he sent first drafts of the of like five of the songs and it's 10 songs and i think we're gonna you know just keep the momentum going with cordova and put out uh and a first single from it sometime in the spring and then probably release it in the summer and and you know all i can do is hope that people like it really because yeah, no at this doubt. point i don't really care or imagine you know becoming a massive rock star or you know whatever it's just something you do because as far as it goes it goes because yeah, it's, it's because, a labor of love right exactly and if i was smart i would i'd start writing the next record right now but i'm also you know as you get older you get 
you get a little lazier too and so it's easy to sort of focus on the one record and then when it's once it's you know Mm -hmm. oh we'll start you know we'll start we're gonna go into the studio in january and do a bit of new stuff but we're just sort of taking it easy for the rest of the year i think and uh you know nick's off in europe anyway with uh as of monday he's heading out to europe uh to play with a band he plays with called folk roadshow do a tour over there Mm. And I mean, on Sunday we're going up to SFU to film a music video for for Walk the Other Way, the song. Okay, yeah, which is, like so that'll still single, first get a single little the yeah. EP there. And we we might put out another single from that, but I think we'll probably just gravitate towards the full length and. Fair enough. Concentrate on putting as much effort into mm-hmm. that, and maybe getting a video ready for before the release for that. Exactly, so that it's a bit more pre-planned and uh, yeah no doubt and yeah like i said you know that's i mean that's pretty much the chronological history to we a degree could ask you about the music we could ask you about the video we could ask you about the upcoming album i might have to book you for a future al- <laughs> interview here because we have ran for over an hour and you gotta run so yeah. i gotta let you go okay well if, <laughs> i mean i'll i'll say yeah if people check out the new record uh the other way uh you can hear it on apple music and you can hear it on spotify you can buy it on itunes you can uh you know, check it out, and we're doing a neat thing for a Christmas through Cordova Bay, where if the, if you go and you buy the the new record on iTunes, it comes with a reissue that we just did of Through the Broken City. Oh, really? Uh, which we're remastering and reissuing uh, as a 12 year anniversary. So. Oh wow! So uh, there you go, and yeah, and if you haven't checked out our band Ben Sinister, check it out. It's it's you know it's sort of uh, you know hopefully plays a song on here. I imagine. And, oh, I uh, will. And you know, but it's kind of a mix of of everything in your dad's record collection, really. And, <laughs> and uh, it's really hard to classify, <laughs> but that's but, a good thing. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. Hey, the show. no problem. Thank you so much All for right. joining me today. All right, I want to give a big, a huge, a massive shout out and thank you to Dan Moxon of Ben Sinister for sitting down with me and sharing with me the history of the band and some of the fantastic stories from over the 12 years of what is Ben Sinister. If you guys want to keep up with Ben Sinister or check out more about them, you can find the band on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find them on their website, bendsinisterband.com. You can also find them on YouTube where you can find some of their amazing music videos. And you can also keep up with some of their other antics there as well. You can also find them on iTunes where you can pick up their latest release, The Other Way, as well as any of their other fantastic releases from over the 12 years of the band. I also want to thank you guys, the fans of the Desert Tiger Podcast, for giving me such an amazing last three months to end off 2017. Since we've kicked off the podcast, we have had thousands of listens in places all over the world. The Desert Tiger Podcast has been heard in South Korea, Japan, Germany, France, the United Kingdom, Brazil all over the United States, and I mean all over the United States, California, 
Miami, Chicago, New York, all over the place. And we've got tons of listeners in Canada too, which is our home nation. So thank you so much to everybody around the world who has given the Desert Tiger podcast a chance. Thank you so much for giving us feedback on all of our social media. And a huge shout out to all of the amazing guests that I've been able to sit down and talk with and been able to get to know and form relationships with over these last three months. We started things off with independent wrestler and promoter Danny Duggan. And since then, we have had hardcore band Jesus Peace. We've had screaming females. We've had acoustic pop punk band Alone I Walk. We've had alternative rock out of Beauty Killed the Beast in Bellevue. We've had Heck Crichton winning U of R Rams quarterback Noah Picton. We've talked to Canadian, legendary Canadian punk rock band Belvedere. We've talked to pop rock acts such as Too Soon Monsoon. We've featured comedian Amber Harper Young. I've had the chance to talk to Calling All Captains for their last show with their previous singer, Mike Milan. If you're looking for someone to help you do some photography or some music videos, you should definitely hit Mike up. I also want to thank comedian Nick Vaderot because he is amazingly funny and we had a great conversation. I want to thank Aviator Shades for being amazing guys and sitting down and talking with me. I want to thank Paul and Dan of The Real Mackenzies for giving me some great stories, not only from the beginning and the history of the band, but from the perspective of somebody who grew up a fan of the band. I want to thank my good friends in Chief State for sitting down and sharing with me how they ended up forming. I want to thank Dylan Villain of The Wild for sitting down and sharing with me his ideas of what he thinks rock and roll is and his work ethic and his mindset. And I also want to give a huge thank you to Dan Moxon, of course, for giving us today's interview about Bend Sinister. I also want to thank the two Jessies who have been very crucial to the start of the Desert Tiger podcast. The first Jesse is a good friend of mine from high school, and he did the intros, the outros, and all of my re-rolls for the Desert Tiger podcast that you hear on every episode. So a huge shout out to him, and Jesse number two, he's not Jesse number two for any importance reason, but Jesse number two, frankly because he was the second one who got involved in the project is the Jesse who made my logo. Got mad love for him as well because he did a great job with our logo. I also want to thank the bands who have provided me music for the shows in which we didn't have a musical guest. That would be Pure October, who provided us songs for our interview with Nick Vaderot. The Ratchet Dolls, who gave us Caught in the light for our interview for Danny Duggan. No King, who gave us a great song for our interview with Noah Picton. 
an old state who you heard before our interview with Amber Harper Young. So you guys have been amazing. Everybody who has been involved in this, the listeners, the fans, the guests, everybody. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys for listening once again, whether it's on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, Castify, whatever it's on, wherever you're from. Thank you so goddamn much from the bottom of my heart. You have turned my expectations and blown them out of the water. I never thought that we would get this big this quickly. And I am extremely excited for the next year. So I hope that you guys subscribe, rate, and review the show. And feel free to give us feedback on any of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can look up Desert Tiger Entertainment to find us on Facebook. And Desert Tiger Podcast to find us on the other two. You can also find us on our website where you can listen to the podcast at deserttigerentertainment.com. You can also email your feedback to the show at desert.tiger.podcast at gmail.com. Like I said, you guys should definitely hit that subscribe button and rate and review the show because next year we have a lot of musicians. We're trying to book our first rapper and our first DJ trio for the show. We have some fantastic comedians coming up for you some athletes. We have some amazing stories coming from some great wrestlers. I'm going to try and book some fantastic producers who have been a crucial part to the history of music. I'm going to try and get some amazing authors and so much more. The Desert Tiger podcast is growing exponentially and it's all thanks to you guys. So thank you so much for tuning in. For rating us five stars on iTunes, which is our average, so thank you so much. For liking us on Facebook, for liking and retweeting us on Twitter. Everything that you guys do for this podcast, thank you so, so much. I hope you guys have a fantastic new year. I hope you have had a fantastic holidays. And if you're going to go out and party, please find a safe way home. And before I leave you, you know, as always, I need to give you a quote. Resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That is a quote from the late, great Carrie Fisher. So as you're going into your 2018, don't carry your resentments for other people and your hate for them. Because that's not going to get you anywhere. Concentrate on improving yourself and being the best you possible and don't let them or their opinions stand in your way or ruin your day. Because if you do, you're ruining it yourself. Be the best you you can possibly be because I know that you are amazing. Have an amazing end of your 2017. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks for listening.